From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your taxi, your camper, RV, cabin in the woods, what have you. Uh, those of you listening in on the podcasts at iTunes, Talk Zone, uh, wherever and however you're listening, thanks for joining me. All right, rock and roll investigator R. Gary Patterson is standing by uh, to join us and talk about some of the strange deaths in the world of not only rock and roll but entertainment. I guess if you're a performer, there's probably no no better way to go out than on stage. And there have been a number of notable ones. Um, one of the things that sort of inspired me to do this show with, <clears throat> excuse me, with Gary, is uh, I saw the um, the producers, the film, a couple of weeks ago, with uh, Zero Mostel and Gene Wilder, and the great comedian Dick Sean uh, playing. Is a very unique twist on uh, uh, in the role of the Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler. Uh, of course, a, a, a classic um, a movie. It was also a Broadway film, of course, and um, Mel Brooks, one of his classics. Uh, but Dick Sean, one of those performers who died on stage during his routine at the microphone, collapsed on stage, and of course, everyone in the audience thought it was part of the act. And so he just laid there, dead, for I don't know how long before someone finally figured out, no, this is not part of the act. But that's how way, that's the way Dick Sean, a very funny man, a brilliant comedic mind, that's the way he checked out. And there are there's really a long list of uh, performers that have gone that way. And so uh, we'll uh, we'll get into some of these unusual deaths. Not only in uh, the the the, uh, the world of rock, but also in just in entertainment in general. Our Gary Patterson will be with us in just a few moments. Uh, if you missed the announcement, great news for those of you who are fans of the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett television program. We are back on for season four, so we'll be delivering brand new episodes this fall on uh, Vision TV. And uh, special thanks to Moses Neimer who has been so supportive and really has great vision. Uh, I'm so thrilled uh, to call Vision home for the uh, the TV program. Again, Season 4 of The Conspiracy Show this fall across Canada on Vision TV and uh, further announcements uh, coming on the actual air date and the episodes that you're going to see. And I want to mention again the website. Uh, in just a few short days strangeplanet.ca and strangeplanet.tv. Both of those URLs will take you to the new landing page. And as I say, they are busy now sort of migrating over to the new server, so that will be operational maybe even tomorrow. Uh, and once you land there, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.tv, from there you can go to the radio page, which will look exactly the way it does now, richardserrett.com. There'll be a TV page. There'll be a live event page. It's just easier to find and easier to spell. So I will be directing you now, uh, from now on, to strangeplanet.ca and strangeplanet.tv. Uh, if you want to join our HOA, hang out on air. Go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. Find the tweet containing the HOA link, and you just click on that, and voila! Uh, you can see me in studio. And you'll also be able to see uh, my guest, I believe, we hope, on his uh, webcam. Uh, down in Knoxville, Tennessee, and that would be our good friend R. Gary Patterson, who is a native Tennessean, and he has a passion for rock and roll. As a published author with Simon & Schuster, 
His, uh, his work portrays many fascinating events that helped shape musical history, from Robert Johnson through current groups making a place for themselves among rock and roll's standing legends. In 1996, nearly 20 years ago, hard to believe, Gary released his first book entitled The Walrus Was Paul. Immediately, the book became highly sought after. Beetlefest catalog proclaimed The Walrus Was Paul as one of its best-selling titles of the year, and due to the instant success of that book, Patterson found himself as a highly sought-after radio personality. He appeared on all the syndicated Beetle, Beetle radio shows, including Westwood One's The Beetle Years, ABC Radio's Beetle Archives, The Breakfast with the Beatles, you name it. I mean, he was the go-to guy uh, to really sort of unravel the whole Paul is dead mystery, which uh, sort of bang- began in the uh, in the late 1960s. And it still has life. A lot of people still think Paul McCartney died in a car crash in 1966 and was replaced by a, uh, a double, a very talented double, apparently, perhaps even more talented than the original, if the, uh, the theory is to be believed. Uh, and, uh, well, that all brings us to his... Uh, his third book, really, that uh, was published back in 2004, and it's called Take a Walk on the Dark Side, Rock and Roll Myths, Legends, and Curses. If you don't have a copy of this book, I really suggest you get a copy, and I'm sure uh, our friends at Conspiracy Culture have it in stock. Uh, but if you love sort of combining the uh, the world of rock with, the, uh, with mysteries and urban legends and unsolved murders and deaths and so forth. This is the book for you. Take a walk on the dark side, on the dark side. Rock and roll myths, legends and curses. Great pleasure to have my good friend R. Gary Patterson with us once again. Hey R. Gary, how are you? Can you hear me? He's not hearing me. All right, Ian, do you want to try and uh reconnect with Gary? Are you there, Gary? I see Richard, him. can you hear me? I can. There you are, my friend. How are you? There I am. I don't know. I guess my phone was on mute. So well, how are you? I'm very well. And uh, it's great to see your face there on uh, on uh, the Google Hangout we're doing tonight. How about that? I was mentioning off I'm the top. Here. Yes. I, I was mentioning off the top, uh, Gary, I watched the producers and uh, uh, Dick Sean, of course, uh, what a great role that was. Uh, very controversial film, you know, sort of uh, mm. making fun of uh, Hitler and the Third Reich. But it's uh, that was Mel. That's Mel Brooks for you. Uh, and did it just spring to, time for Hitler uh, spring, in Germany? That's right. And uh, which you know led me to think about you know Dick Sean um, dying during a performance. And uh, you know a little digging reveals that there's just a whole host of performers who went out that way. And uh, you know we're going to talk about some of them tonight. Uh, certainly from the world of rock, which is your beat. But I, I, I want to go back to, I remember, uh, uh, I think it was from, uh, was it Graceland, Paul Simon's song, The Late Great Johnny Ace, or was that from another album? may have been Graceland. Yeah. You know, Johnny Ace, Johnny Ace taught record companies how to make millions of dollars off dead rock stars. Well, tell us about who Johnny Ace was, because that's, sort of that's sort of one of the, in terms of the rock arena, that's one of the first sort of prominent deaths, right? Actually, I would say that was the first major death in rock and roll history. Right. I mean, everybody thinks about Buddy Holly in 1959, but we got to go back a little earlier with Johnny Ace because everything from the blues where you had blues artists who were sort of tormented by the concept of, uh, well, playing the devil's music on Friday and Saturday night and going to church and singing hymns on Sunday and, if you take a look at Johnny Alexander, his father was a minister. And when he started his career in 
order not to embarrass his father, he took the name Johnny Ace. And, of course, his greatest song was called Pledging My Love. You might have heard that. Absolutely. That's, it's, that's yeah, the number one fact, hit. Matter of fact, what's odd about that song, Richard, is I think it was the last song Elvis Presley cut in the Jungle Room uh, in Memphis. Is that which right? Which is kind of bizarre that he would do a Johnny A song. Is his last one there? Interesting. And but, was that ever released? Was that on? Was that on? Uh, Moody I think it Blue? was on an album. One of one of his albums. I know that I'd read that he had cut it. Was one of the last. Okay. And uh, if it's so, then you know it goes back to that Memphis circle. You know, with uh, right on the the Mississippi River and everything else from Robert Johnson all the way in. But I know that Johnny Ace, uh, you know, he had a good career. And, he started drinking a little too much, and he carried a gun with him. And normally the That's gun... That's a bad combination. The, yeah, well, you know, in the South, uh, some of the good old boys down here, they enjoy taking their guns and going out and shooting stop signs with them and uh, traffic signs, and he did the same. So he carried it with him. And one night in Texas, he was playing with Big Mama Thornton, and, of course, Big Mama Thornton is one of the uh, great blues singers of all time and they were doing a show i think it was in houston it was somewhere in texas and during the break johnny ace was walking around with his pistol and he had his girlfriend with him and he had one of his girlfriend's female friends also and he was walking with him and he'd stop and he'd take his pistol out and point it at his girlfriend's head and pull the trigger and then he'd stop, and he'd take the pistol, and he'd pull a hammer back, and he'd put it next to her friend's head and pull the trigger. Oh, well, dear. Big Mama Thornton saw this, so she reached over and grabbed the gun from him. Now, she was a very large lady, and uh, she was strong. Well, Johnny Ace, being a little intoxicated, didn't like the idea that she'd grabbed his gun, so he had to fight and get it back, which he did. And she was yelling at him to put the gun up, not to take it out. And he took the gun, and he showed it to her, and he said, look, this isn't loaded. And he pulled the hammer back and put it next to his head, pulled the trigger, and, well, the gun was loaded. And he booked his one-way ticket to uh, rock and roll heaven. And when he did that, his record label put out the late, great Johnny Ace. And that's why... Well, Paul Simon was talking about was the idea, you know, that when he heard of Johnny A's dad, he had to go out and buy his greatest hits. And isn't that the way we are? I mean, we listen to artists all the time on the radio, and we think, well, how great that is. And then what we do is we go out, and uh, if something happens, we want to buy everything to reminisce about that artist. So I guess the record labels were shown that if you're a dead artist, you can make much more money. And uh, for the label, because they never run out. It's like Jimi Hendrix said. He said, it's funny how people love the dead. Once you're dead, you're made for life. And and I'm guessing that uh, very little of that money made its way to Johnny Alexander's estate. I would say you'd be right. So a double tragedy. Yeah, he had a slew of hits. Uh, And But really, I I mean, we, we, we call him sort of the first famous uh, dead rock star, but he sort of preceded rock uh, because he died in 1954 so i guess he'd be more of a kind of a rhythm and blues artist however uh here we are pledging my love johnny ace our gary patterson is with us here on the conspiracy show and uh we are talking about it's kind of a macabre topic but it's uh performers entertainers rock and rollers who died on stage back with more of our conversation 
right after this. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Rock and roll investigator R. Gary Patterson is with us live from Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, he, the author of Take a Walk on the Dark Side. And this is really, it's, it just, it stands up. I mean, it, this is, uh, for me, just absolutely essential uh, to have a copy of this book. Uh, Gary, are you, I mean, you must have enough stories to fill several other volumes in, just in this category. Are, are, you, are, you, are you still collecting these stories? I'm still collecting them. Actually, I'm working on my next book. Can you hear me? I can. All right. Okay, What's good? Can you tell me what and, it's about? Uh, well, right now I'm collecting some other stories. I'm writing it up. It'll be uh, it'll be after some of the other stories that may go a little before. Take a walk on the dark side. And I'm trying to find some more current ones because you know it takes it takes time to be a legend. And you know, if you're a new group, you might have some tragedy. But normally, I I like that. Twilight Zone twist to everything. Absolutely. You know? And I, I just don't want to write a book about, oh, I don't know, obituaries or, you know, farewells to great artists. I mean, that's not my thing. I I prefer something that's sort of twisted. I remember watching The Twilight Zone when I was little, and and I always liked that twisted ending. And in rock and roll, you have a lot of stories like that, like what we're talking about tonight has a number of twists. Uh, before we get back to some rock and rollers, I just wanted to share... Uh, sort of outside that field, and, and comedian Harry Einstein. Now, he was the father of Albert Brooks. Now, Albert yes. Brooks, we're all familiar with Albert. He died, Harry Einstein died, while performing. It was a, um, it was at the Friars Club, and they were roasting Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Huh? And, and this is, uh, I guess this is back in the late 50s. Now, get this. When Harry Einstein died, he collapsed onto Milton Berle. <laughs> wow. Know. Oh, my gosh. And there was someone else who died on the Dick Cavett show, wasn't there? That's right. He was. This is kind of ironic because he was a longevity expert. He, uh, Yeah, he was um, – uh, let me see. I'm trying to remember his name. But, yeah, he had a heart attack right there on the show. But I don't believe – I don't know that the episode ever aired. No, they didn't air the show because the other guest – Kept looking at Dick Cavett and whispering, "There's something ba- something bad wrong here." And uh, of course, he'd noticed the guy had expired on the air, so they never ran it. The show was never put on. That's oh, his name was Jerome Rodale, and this was the yeah. guy that was quoted as saying, "I'm going to live to be a hundred unless I'm run over by a sugar crazed taxi driver." And then, then he was a guest on Cavett's show at the age of uh, 72, and he had a heart attack right there on the program. Now, I mean, I mean. How odd is that? Yeah, there's irony, and obviously, uh, you know, any death diminishes us all. But, uh, you know, this is it's fascinating how, how some of these people go. Now, I wanted to talk about this, this uh, the combination of, uh, well, rock and rollers and electricity. There have been a number of uh, rock and rollers who have died via electrocution. Now, I don't know that they necessarily died on stage performing, but they were they were at least playing when they when they died. It may have been in a home studio uh or uh or elsewhere, but they they died while while playing or practicing. And uh, one that comes to mind is Les Harvey. 
And I don't know a lot about the Stone Crows. This was a Glasgow rock band. What can you tell us about Les mm-hmm. Harvey and Stone the Crows? Stone the Crows with uh, Maggie May, I think, was the lead vocalist. And, uh, you know, the band the band was uh, emerging. One of the one of my favorite performers from Stone the Crows was uh, James Duar. And if you're familiar with that name, he was the bass player and singer for Robin Trower on the first few albums and had a very unique, very unique voice. But one thing that you have to remember <clears throat> if you're a rock star and you're playing live is do not stand in standing water. Oh, and do not have your hands wet when you go up to a microphone stand because if the microphone polarity is different, oh, let me tell you, I mean, I've played in rock bands and when my lips would touch a microphone and I had my guitar in my hand and a cable going back to my amp and it was not, but the polarity was different, I would shoot a blue spark about a foot from my mouth to that, to the mic and it would just, you know, it, it was, it was terrible. And I wasn't standing in water. Of course, I never would have stood in water, but that's what happened. I electrocuted on stage, and I know that Stone the Crows, they did attempt to go on with Jimmy McCullough. And if you remember Jimmy, he was a guitar player for uh, Paul McCartney. And he, I and believe he was also in the Small Faces for a while, wasn't he? He was. And, uh, and well, actually, his big band was Thunderclap Newman. Right, right. It, you know, something in the air, but... I remember, if you ever heard the song uh, Junior's Farm, there's a line where Paul McCartney sings, uh, Take Me Down, Jimmy, and then McCullough did the guitar part. Now, I think that's great. And, uh, you know, just to think that the band decided they'd lost their heart and they couldn't go on, even if they had McCullough. I think they cut one more album. But I also have a good friend. His name is Leo Lyons. Who ah, plays yes. Ten years after. He'll play some ten years after. Right. And uh, I did an interview with him a few years ago that you've heard. But one of the things about Leo, he was talking about playing at Woodstock. And uh, ten, ten years after, went on right after the heavy rains. And he said that when he was playing on stage, he was the stage was just soaking wet. And he would look at the electrical cables and he could see them arcing. Oh, dear. Seeing the power shoot. And he's on stage. And he was, they were all afraid they were about to be electrocuted. He told me that's why they played so fast. <laughs> but I'm going home so they could get through faster. That's but, around the uh, time, if you listen to the, uh, the Woodstock uh, album, uh, you'll hear, I don't know if it was Wavy Gravy or someone making the announcement because the winds were picking up and the rain was coming down and they were saying, stay away from the towers, stay away from yeah. the towers. So that's when, uh, when, when 10 years after we're on stage. Yeah, right, right then. And it was at night, and uh, they did the show. And, of course, Leo told me that as soon as they got off the helicopter, that Pete Townsend came running over saying, don't eat anything, don't drink anything, they've got acid and everything. So at the end of the performance, 10 years after Woodstock, somebody puts a watermelon on stage, and Alvin Lee picks the watermelon up, puts it over his shoulder, and carries it off. And I said, did you eat the watermelon? He said, oh, no, we didn't eat the watermelon. So... You know, you're sitting here and you're thinking, I mean, you know that you can be electrocuted. Now, today, you have wireless transmitters that you can put on your guitars, and you don't have that cable that's holding you into your amp, so that helps some. But, you know, I mean, I have seen performers that I've been playing in concerts, and I've seen 
performers knocked out on stage but the polarity of the mics. And I've seen a lightning strike that knocked out about four or five people off the stage. So if it's raining, you know, you don't need to be doing a concert. And I'd say it'd be bad in the state on, in the crowd as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a deadly combination. And uh, it claimed an, another, uh, and that would be Keith Ralph of the Yardbirds died from electrocution. Now, was he on stage or was he practicing or what happened there? You know, there is an urban legend about uh, about Keith Ralph. And first of all, you got to remember that he is the man who founded the, the Yardbirds. And he was the one to entice Eric Clapton to come in and play. So you had Clapton, Keith Ralph, Jim McCarty on drums, Paul Samuel Smith on bass, and then you had uh, Chris Strasia on rhythm guitar. And if you know the story, uh, when you hear the song For Your Love, Eric Clapton quit. That was the only song he played on on that album. Because, you know, he was a, bu- a blues purist, and he didn't like the pop direction the Yardbirds are going in. So what he wanted to do was simply start another band and leave the Yardbirds, which he did. And, of course, Jeff Beck came in. And i got to tell you, Richard, you may know this, too, that Jeff Beck did a heck of a lot more for the Yardbirds than Eric Clapton could have ever done. I mean, if Clapton had stayed, the Yardbirds, to me, would have been like John Mayall and the Bluesbreakers. Right, right. But the unique guitar sounds of Jeff Beck actually drove the psychedelic age, and then... Of course, they had another guy named Jimmy Page who played with them as well. And That's an excellent point. I'd never thought of that. I mean, you know, it's not that you're diminishing Clapton as a guitarist. It's just in terms of what the Yardbirds ended up being and what we know the Yardbirds, and, of course, they give birth to, to Led Zeppelin, had, that would have all changed had Clapton stuck with the band. It would have. It's something I think about because uh, I noticed that you played as a bumper song, Heartful of Soul. Sure, one of their and classics. Yeah, great one, and that's with uh, Jeff Beck. And when I listen to Heartful of Soul for that tone that he has, and I listen to Over, Under, Sideways, Down, and one of my favorites is Shapes of Things, because Jeff Beck just totally took the guitar in a whole new direction. But I also think that Keith Ralph may have gotten tired of being in a band that had three guitar gods. And Yeah, he's the odd man out. Yeah, and, you know, I think he wanted to play a little softer music because after he left the Yardbirds, and I know he had some health issues, too. Uh, I think it was maybe asthma, but I know that he started a band with his sister called Renaissance, and they were playing softer, softer music. And I think even he and Jim McCarty put a band together, the original drummer from the Yardbirds, and it was more like a Simon and Garfunkel type thing, which really didn't go over well. So after he leaves Renaissance, he puts a heavy metal group together called uh, Armageddon, and uh, which is kind of ironic, you know, the last war. Yes, I guess. yes. But, uh, he was in a basement studio in his house with a guitar and uh, was playing, and the floor was wet. And supposedly the story goes that he was staying over, standing over a gas pipe, and he was shocked severely. But he was so sick and frail that it led to his electrocution. He was dead when they came downstairs. Now, here's a guy who was getting out of the Yardbirds because he didn't like the the guitar sounds, and he's killed by an electric guitar. So it's kind of another little sense of irony there with Keith Ralph. I'll say. Uh, 
Our Gary Patterson is with us, rock and roll investigator and uh, the author of The Walrus Was Paul. If you ever, uh, I mean, this is the, to me, the definitive book on uh, the whole Paul is dead legend that that uh, came out of the uh, the late 1960s uh, and continues to live to this day in, in some quarters. Uh, the Walrus was Paul, and his uh, latest is Take a Walk on the Dark Side. We're talking rock and roll, uh, urban legends, myths, uh, and uh, tragic deaths while uh, on stage, for the most part, but not only rock and rollers. A lot of uh, people will remember, of course, the uh, the great actor Tyrone Power. Now, uh, Power actually died while performing. He suffered a heart attack while filming a fencing scene in a film called Solomon and Sheba. Now, he didn't die right there. He, he died soon after uh, being loaded into the ambulance. Uh, do you remember Tyrone Power, Gary? Am I dating you? <laughs> well, I can remember watching him on the uh, classic movies that ran on television. He he was a little before my time, but uh, I do remember the name. I do remember watching him in a lot of movies. And basically, when television first came in, I remember that, you know, there were a lot of older movies that came on, like... Turner Classic Movie Network, and uh, what you have there, you know, you would have have some Tyrone Power features. I know that he was considered to be one of the more handsome uh, leading men in Hollywood, and, uh, you know, that his death was a terrible tragedy, and I knew that he died of a heart attack when he played, and it seems like heart attacks seem to be one of the number one ways for artists to go. Uh, yeah, uh, it seems to me, uh, was it Johnny Guitar Watson? Did he not die on stage mm. of a heart attack? Well, he did, actually, yes. And, uh, you know, Johnny Guitar Watson is, is a name that a lot of people probably aren't familiar with. But uh, I think his career lasted at least 40 years, and uh, he was able to transcend. I even think he played some funk besides blues at the end, and I believe he died on stage, was it? In Germany, I believe. I'm not and, sure, but uh, you, yeah, you mentioned uh, he was kind of known as the father of funk. I yeah, mean, he was yeah, he, he was there he, from the get go. Yeah, he was at the beginning. I guess you can put he and Rick James and some of the few others in there. He had a few songs that transcended, but you know it's unusual because most blues artists don't really transcend as well. You know, they they stay in. I mean, Muddy Waters had a little disdain for rock and roll. You know, because he was a pure blues artist. And uh, when Chuck Berry came on the Chess Records, you know, Muddy Waters really didn't think very much of the music. All right. We will uh, take a time out here in uh, just moments. And when we come back, we'll continue to discuss some of the, uh, the great rock and rollers and other performers that have died on stage or during rehearsal or perhaps backstage our Gary Patterson the author of Take a Walk on the Dark Side right here on The Conspiracy Show stay with us the world is being pulled over your eyes this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant to reach Richard call 416-360-0740 welcome back he is the Fox Mulder of rock and roll, our Gary Patterson, on the line from Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, the author of The Walrus Was Paul and Take a Walk on the Dark Side. We're talking rock and roll uh, legends, mysteries, and uh, strange deaths, uh, performers who died on stage. You know, when you when you say that someone died on stage, it's kind of a crass expression, usually meaning that they uh, they kind of... 
uh, screwed up their performance. But in this case, it has an entirely uh, different meaning. It's the literal uh, meaning of the word, dying on stage. You mentioned Johnny Guitar Watson. Uh, it was Yokohama, Japan. He was on tour there. I just looked that yeah. up, Gary. But yeah. something I didn't know about uh, Johnny Guitar Watson, I didn't know that he performed in Dr. Feelgood. And uh, that's a that was a, that's a real innovative band. And uh, for those who don't know their their work, Wilco Johnson is a really interesting uh, cat because he's one of those. He, I, I don't know if he sort of invented this style of guitar playing. You would know, uh, Gary, but he's he actually is able to to strum and play lead at the same time. It's quite interesting to watch, Wilco Johnson. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you played in a three piece band, you know, you had to be able to be able to play a great rhythm guitar, then you had to switch to lead. I mean, that's one thing about Billy Gibbons. I mean, he has a knack. ZZ Top, yeah. Playing, you know, and uh, playing rhythm and going into his solos. And and a lot of the old blues guys, if you listen to Robert Johnson, I mean, it was all rhythm tracks with his lead on top. So, you know, going back to that, Blues influence was something there, but that was what Johnny Guitar Watson was known for. And I, and I mentioned Wilco Johnson because, well, those of you that are familiar with uh, a Game of Thrones, uh, Wilco Johnson uh, has kind of a recurring role in. I, I haven't I really sat down and watched that series, but I'm told he's just brilliant in it. He plays, I think it's the Executioner, and he is kind of a strange-looking individual. <laughs> but he had a brush with death. I mean, he was written off. He had pancreatic cancer, which is a death sentence, and he beat it. It's quite a, a miraculous story with uh, Wilco Johnson. Uh, I wanted to talk about someone. He didn't actually technically uh, die on stage, but he, he uh, I'm talking about Jackie Wilson. Uh, I mean, he lingered a long time in a coma, but he actually, yeah. was, it on, was it on Dick Clark's show he had a heart attack or a stroke? I don't know if he was on Dick Clark when he did or he was, reg- or he was just in a regular performance. I know that he was big on Ed Sullivan and Dick Clark, and I don't know if he was doing. What was the song he would he was doing? It taking me higher. Oh, I think I, I think. heard that the the line he sang just before he collapsed was "My heart is crying." Yeah, well, okay, that would be "Lonely Teardrops." Right, right, but I, I don't know if that's if that's true. That that could be an urban legend. Well, you know, I love urban legends, and we talked about Keith Ralph. There was a story that went along a long time ago that he died in his bathtub, that he was taking a bath playing his electric guitar. Now, you know, that's that's terrible, but that's not true. But, I mean, it was actually everywhere. I mean, you went on the Internet, you looked at Keith Ralph, you heard the bit about the bathtub. So that was sad. And, uh, you know, but still being electrocuted in your wet basement, you know, playing the guitar, you got to stay away from water. You should have known better, you know. And, of course... I can agree that if his health was that bad, it probably helped bring his uh, approaching death there. But Jackie Wilson, I mean, what a voice. And uh, the dance moves that Jackie Wilson had at the Apollo, Michael Jackson copied everything he did. Interesting. Well, so did Elvis. I mean, everybody watched Jackie Wilson to get the moves. And if you've never seen Jackie Wilson, you need to go to YouTube and check out some of his early performances on Ed Sullivan and and uh, Dick Clark to see the way he moved. I mean, he was fabulous performer. And and he uh, he languished in a in a vegetative state for something like ten years before he finally died, didn't he? Yeah, that's what it says. A long time, long time. 
And uh, I, I remember an interview with Elvis Presley, uh, or at least it was attributed to Presley, uh, because as you mentioned, he was a huge fan of Jackie Wilson and felt such a great debt to Jackie Wilson that he would uh, often visit Wilson in a hospital and would sit by his bedside and sing to him. Well, see, that's cool. And, uh, you know, it shows a, a great influence and a great appreciation, and and it's the way it should be. I mean, artists should take up for those who are in a state like that, and there should be money raised to make sure that it pays for that. And I know a lot of artists are actually broke. They don't make any money off their royalties. And, you know, I was reading somewhere that Dick Dale, you know, the greatest surf guitar player, right, right. has to play at least $3,000 in performances to keep up with his medical care. And uh, he has a colostomy. He has, uh, you know, he's gone through all these terrible setbacks. And to me, you know, it just doesn't seem right. I mean, I know Dick Dale's in his 70s, and in the United States, there's Medicare and there's Medicaid, and uh, there should be insurance, you know, available to him then, unless he's already maxed out and he has to keep going. But, I mean, he's a brilliant guitar player, can still play, but it's kind of sad that he has to play for his health insurance that is tragic uh doesn't necessarily want to be out there and we and we know how grueling uh the road can be uh well you mentioned you know being gravely ill another performer who was gravely ill uh but was still out there on the boards doing and that was tiny tim tell me about uh how uh this not exactly a rock and roller but uh tiny checked out on stage as well we did i think he just got through playing and had a heart attack and died i mean if you remember Tiny Tim, you'd have to remember Laugh-In. And he came on, and I remember watching him, and I thought I thought he was a joke. I mean, I thought it was a gag. And, uh, you know, so but when it happened, you know, uh, he married Miss Vicky, had all these things, and he was just a, a colorful character, but he looked like he made me a little deranged. And, uh, well, he was a novelty tools. act. Let's face it, he was a novelty act. He was a novelty act. And he had through the tulips. High, yeah, and he had this high, high falsetto voice that you know sounded like you were taking your fingernails and running it out a chalkboard. But uh, yeah, he had he died right after he left the stage, so obviously he must have had the heart attack while he was performing, and he kept on going. And uh, so, buried with his ukulele. Yeah, I mean, we ought to talk about how many artists were were buried with artifacts. Well, maybe we can touch on that when we come back. Our Gary Patterson, rock and roll investigator, take a walk on the dark side. Well, we'll do more of that when we come back. Richard Serrett and The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And our Gary, our Gary Patterson stays with us as we uh, talk about strange deaths uh, from the uh, world of entertainment, uh, particularly rock and roll musicians. Now, here's one, uh, not a rock and roller, but this is one of the strangest. Uh, this is a number of artists have died on stage while conducting live performances, and we've been talking about that. There's one case, though, that's very unique, uh, or highly unique, probably the most ironic at the same time, and that's because... Uh, well, it, it involved an, a little-known actress by the name of Edith Webster, and uh, she she never managed to make a name for herself during her lifetime, but she really left her mark in history with her bizarre death. During a, a play, 
called The Drunkard, which was uh, being performed at the Towson Moose Lodge in Baltimore. The 60-year-old Edith Webster was playing the role of the grandmother. And according to the uh, plot of the play, during the second half of the show, just before the end, the grandmother, again, Edith Webster's character, had to sing, Please Don't Talk About Me When I'm Gone, after which she was supposed to slump dead onto the floor. Now, in the play, (laughs) she's supposed to do this. She had been playing this role for eight years, when on November the 24th, 1986, after singing the song, she fell to the floor dead. The audience, as always, was impressed with her performance, gave her a resounding applause, and uh, it was only later that uh, it was discovered she had actually had a fatal heart attack on stage. Edith Webster. All right, our Gary uh, Patterson, you wanted to talk about some of the the artifacts that musicians have been uh, buried with. We mentioned uh, Tiny Tim, tip, tiptoe through the tulips, and he was, of course, buried with his his legendary ukulele right there in the coffin. What are some of the other things that rock stars have been buried with? Well, you know, I'll go back to Muddy Waters. And I always love this story because Muddy Muddy Waters played a red Telecaster, Fender Telecaster guitar. And when he died, when they were taking the coffin to the burial plot, everyone had left, they put the guitar in the coffin with him. And when they closed the lid, they kept pushing on the lid. It broke the neck of the guitar. But they closed it up, and they took him to the funeral burial plot, and someone had brought this beautiful uh, mural. It was a a wreath, and it had the the guitar exactly as it looked. And as they were lowering the coffin into the ground, the neck broke off the the floor wreath. Just as it had when they closed it in the coffin. Now that was a pretty strange story, wouldn't you think so, Richard? Oh, and tragic. I mean, listen. I know that 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 people get very sentimental and they want their uh, their loved one to to go into eternity with some favorite item. But I mean, that that guitar belongs in the Smithsonian. Yeah. Or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. And when Dwayne Allman died, there were all kinds of stories about what he was buried with. I know that. Uh, he was buried with a silver dollar, and that comes from the song Midnight Rider, and I've got one more silver dollar. So they left a silver dollar on him. But, you know, one of the strange things about his death, and, I mean, I heard the story they put a Corsidian bottle on his finger because he played slide guitar and a few other objects, but I had heard, and I tried to, I mean, I even t- tried to get in touch with the Allman Brothers to give me an answer to this. I never got the answer is that when Dwayne Allman died, he wasn't buried for almost a year. Well, actually, over a year. That's almost like the James Brown story. story. That's like what happened with James Brown. Yeah, uh, no, or okay. maybe even Michael Jackson. On the right. So, so what happened with, with uh, Allman? Why, why wasn't he buried? They kept him in storage. And I asked someone, they said, well, there was some uh, you know, legal issues with his ex-wife. But, you know, legal issues with your ex-wife doesn't mean that they not going to bury you, but the real tragic thing is that one year and 13 days after Dwayne Allman was killed, Barry Oakley, his best friend, was also killed in a motorcycle accident, and they buried them both together, and they're buried in Rose Hill Cemetery. And he died almost in in the exact same spot, didn't they? Yeah, two blocks away. And uh, so, you know, they were buried together. If you look at their graves, they've got a nice-looking Les Paul carved on Duane and a nice Fender bass on the 
vary. So, you know, that was rather strange. And then probably to me, the strangest story was Ronnie Van Zant from uh, Leonard Skinner. I mean, I know he was buried barefoot with a fishing pole and his Texas hat or hat. And then several years later, there was an attempt to break into his grave in Jacksonville, Florida. They found his coffin pulled out. And Steve Gaines, the guitar player, who had also died in a plane crash, his ashes had been spilt. And this ghoulish grave robbery, the legend has that there was a bet to see if Ronnie Van Zant was buried with his Neil Young T-shirt. Uh-huh. I but hope Neil Young will play. remember. A Southern man don't yeah. need him around anyhow, right? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, which was terrible. So I know that Judy Van Zandt, his widow, had his body buried in another location and had tons of concrete placed on top of it so it wouldn't happen again. So I don't know if he was buried with his Neil Young T-shirt or not. So I guess uh, Judy's the one who'll have to say that story. But, you know, it's just really, you talk about collectors and you talk about breaking into the tombs of the pharaohs. You know, rock stars are the same. And I was told, I was flown out to L.A. to work on a documentary about Elvis was still alive. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that Elvis left the building in, the building in 1977. I know there's some who would disagree. But I was told by one of the men involved in this that he was paid, along with another man, to steal Elvis Presley's body in Memphis. And he was paid by Elvis's father, Vernon Presley, because... He wanted to bury Elvis and Elvis's mother at Graceland, but you just can't bury people in your backyard. So he had to prove to the city of Memphis that they could not, you know, safely protect his son's remains. Right, I remember that and story. This, I think yeah, I heard it that's from you. Why that happened. Right. And when and when you go to Memphis, you'll see Elvis is buried in the backyard with the grandmother and Vernon and and his mom. So they're buried there now. But that was. That was put on. So that's another thing about moving it, moving someone away. And did they not? Uh, um, did they not also uh, bury the um, Elvis's twin, who was who died at birth, Jesse Garen Presley, uh, there as well? Well, you know, I'm going to have to make a confession. I've never been to Graceland. You believe that? I don't. You've never made no. the pilgrimage. We should do it together because it's on my we list should. as well. We should. It's on my list too. All right, and we'll sit and, there in front of the, the grave, trying to sing, uh, trying to sing harmony like they did in uh, Spinal Tap. Yeah, Do you remember well, that I'm scene? Sure that we, yeah, I think we may be pretty close to as as good as Spinal Tap. <laughs> I want to, We just got a couple minutes uh, remaining. Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Dwayne Allman, and mm-hmm. you mentioned Barry Oakley, who died almost mm-hmm. in the exact same spot. The bass guitarist. Uh, he died almost in the exact same spot, the same way as, as Dwayne Allman, but a year later. But you told right. me this story uh, about the Allman brothers, and that Dwayne Allman actually was was declared dead, I believe, almost, or was very close to death, a year, almost to the day that he actually died. And, and there's a, an amazing 29th. story. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me this story? October 29, 1970, Dwayne Allman had a drug overdose from massive overdose of heroin, no, of opium in Nashville. They rushed into the hospital. His fingertips had turned blue. The emergency room doctor comes out and tells the band they're all frantic. He says, look, he's in bad shape. I don't think he's going to make it. 
So at that time, Barry Oakley, who was Dwayne's best friend, runs into the parking lot, falls down on his knees, and he starts to pray. And he's praying aloud. He says, God, just give him one more year. Just one more year to play. God, just give him one more year to pursue his dreams, pursue his music. And he was sobbing so hard and crying, and he stayed out there nonstop. And then all at once, within an hour, the doctor comes back in. He says, you know, I don't know. I've never seen anything like this, but he's going to make it. So Dwayne Allman recovered, but he died one year to the day on October 29, 1971, in a motorcycle accident in Macon. So I guess you have to be careful what you wish for. Instead of a year, maybe wish for 20, you know. That's but, an amazing uh, story. Now, is is that a legend, or, I mean, do we have that on good authority, maybe from a member of the band, that that actually we have it. We have it from a member of the band. And uh, Butch Trucks, the drummer. Right, right. Tells that story. He was there too. So, you know, it's just really odd, you know, how that works. And of course, I know we're out of time, but, you know, maybe next time we can talk about Don Beg Daryl, you know, who was murdered on stage. That's right. That happened well, fairly recently, didn't it? Did it, did it not? It, yeah, John, on the same anniversary of John Lennon's death on December 8th, and uh, which was just very strange. And then, of course, one of the guitarists in uh, Great White was killed in a nightclub fire that from pyrotechnics. That so, claimed a lot of people. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that. very yeah. tragic. And uh, but you know, it's just odd how this happens. It's like uh, you know, the Grim Reaper keeps his eye going, and uh, you never know. And I think if you're an artist, you know, sometimes at the height of your career, when you're on stage, if you're Jackie Wilson uh, or anyone else, you know, you put it on the line, and it's terrible that they died on stage, but their music lives forever. So, and that way, they're immortal. Always a pleasure, Gary. Now, you're going to be in the uh, the St. Louis area with our good friend George Norrie. Uh, yes, I will. I'll be in St. Louis with George. Can you give us a date? When is that happening? Well, it's... Gosh, I can't believe you asked me that. That's all right. You know what? People can just go to George Norrie, uh, georgenorrielive.com, and it'll be there. Yeah. I think it's January 20th or something. Oh, like it's, that. It's, yeah, it's quite a while away. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Gary, my friend, thank you so much. Always good to be with you, Richard. RGaryPatterson.com, and the book, of course, is Take a Walk on the Dark Side. All right, thank you to Ian Robertson and Albert Vinzel, as always, back next week with a brand-new program. Hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.